Hi, I'm Virginia Governor Ralph Northam, and you're listening to the Patients Come First podcast. Greetings, and welcome to the VHHA's Patients Come First podcast. On this episode, we're pleased to have Dr. S. Hughes Melton. Dr. Melton is the commissioner of the Virginia Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services. What that means is Dr. Melton leads the state agency, which has oversight responsibility for mental health services, addiction treatment, 14 state hospitals, collaboration with community services boards across the Commonwealth, provider licensure, and so much more. And at a moment in time when both mental health and substance abuse treatment reform and transformation are key topics, that is a highly important portfolio in Virginia. With that, let's welcome Dr. Melton to the program. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, Julia. Well, we're glad you're here. Our conversation with Dr. Melton is going to focus on your work in public health and the response to the opioid epidemic. To start with, I'd like to provide a little bit of background and then have you, Dr. Melton, introduce yourself to the audience. Dr. Melton has worked as a physician leader and as an executive in the hospital setting in Southwest Virginia, where he also established an addiction treatment center to help rural patients. He is board certified in family medicine and addiction medicine, and in 2011, he was named the Family Physician of the Year by the American Academy of Family Physicians. With that, please take it away, Dr. Melton. Thanks, Julian. Um, and that's right. And, and prior to coming to Southwest Virginia, I grew up in Northern Virginia, uh, high school there, and then uh, attended college at Lexington, Virginia, and then medical school in Charlottesville, uh, and then went in the Army for four years to serve an obligation there, and then located in the Southwest Virginia, like you mentioned already, and uh, opened a practice uh, there for broad-spectrum family medicine, and just within about six months of arriving there, quickly became aware of the addiction epidemic in Southwest Virginia at that time, mainly focusing around the abuse of OxyContin and my partner and I started immediately to uh, take steps to address the issue as it came into our clinic. And then over time, I got particularly interested, became board certified in addiction medicine and, and started some specific treatment programs in the region to try and address the problem. In 2012, I started working with the health system, as you mentioned, and then in 2016, Platform was selected to serve as the chief deputy at the health department and served there until Governor Northam appointed me to serve as the commissioner at the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services this past April. And on the personal side, uh, you're a family man. I understand you have a wife and two daughters. And uh, on the non-healthcare side, your passions include running, biking, aviation, and also working with your church. Is that correct? That's right. And my older daughter is a third year at the University of Virginia, and my uh, younger daughter is a senior. And looking at UVA as well as Washington and Lee to attend college. And then my wife, Sarah, is very active also in the addiction space, both in Virginia and Tennessee as a clinical pharmacist and works through the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy at East Tennessee State University. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that information with us. Let's shift, if we can, now to the opioid crisis. On their face, the numbers associated with this epidemic are staggering, particularly when you consider the damage it has done to people, families, even newborn babies. Two quick stats here that illustrate the scope of this public health challenge are the number of opioid overdose deaths in the 10 years covering the period from 2007 to 2017, and the other is the rise in the number of infants born withdrawing from exposure to drugs in the womb. It's a condition that's known as neonatal abstinence syndrome, or NAS. Last year, there were more than 800 babies who were hospitalized in Virginia for NAS, which was an 11% increase from the previous year. Overall, that 800-plus births represents more than 1% of live births in Virginia. As you know, Dr. Melton, many partners are engaged in combating this crisis. If you would, please share some insight into what the Commonwealth and DBHDS are doing to respond to the crisis. 
Thanks, Julian. So I tend to break any response to an epidemic like we're experiencing with addiction into three major buckets. One is the work around prevention. The other is the work around treatment and recovery. And the other is in the bucket of harm reduction. And uh, uh, the Commonwealth is involved in all three areas. Um, and in particular, starting all the way back in the McAuliffe administration with um, his opioid task force, putting together 50 recommendations, and then that was carried over into the Northern administration with the executive leadership team on addiction. And that's a group of agencies, both in the health and human resources sector, as well as in public safety, their key partners in the response. And so when we look at prevention, Prevention is a major activity of um, my agency, the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services, but also the Department of Education is active in that space as well, seeking to um, educate the public as well as um, educate prescribers in order to make for better choices uh, by individuals as well as by um, professionals who are prescribing some of the medications that end up being uh, misused. In the treatment space, again, our agency is very active in that area through our work with the community service boards, the federally qualified health clinics, as well as private providers, and in partnering with DMAS, the Medicaid agency, to try and grow the treatment capacity in communities because we know the treatment works. And, um, and we've seen a rapid expansion of um, treatment resources, evidence-based, including medication-assisted treatment with the use of buprenorphine and methadone and Vivitrol. And, and so we're going in the right direction there. And then lastly, harm reduction in, in large part is the, in the space of the Department of Health with syringe services and comprehensive harm reduction programs to try and reach out to individuals who have the disease of addiction and are actively using and may not even want treatment, but we can still reach out to them and, and try and protect them from the uh, damages and the risks associated with substance abuse. We are active in one aspect of harm reduction, which is around the REVIVE program, which is where an individual uh, layperson can use the medication Narcan or Naloxone to reverse an overdose. So those are the three main areas, prevention, treatment and recovery, and, and harm reduction, uh, where I would say that the state has focused its efforts. Well, thank you for explaining that. I'll make a shameless plug here very quickly. As I noted just a moment ago, that in addition to all the work that's happening on the public health front, uh, many providers in the private sector are also very engaged in this. And the VHHA releases a magazine three times a year. And just within a month or so ago, we released our latest issue of that magazine, which is called Review. And the entirety of the magazine was focused on all the work that uh, hospitals and health systems throughout the Commonwealth are doing. Uh, so shameless plug alert, I would encourage listeners to visit our website at www.vhha.com communications, and you will be able to access the latest issue of the magazine. Julian, I would, I would add to that. I mean, one of the key areas of activity is, is that interface between the emergency room staff um, and the community service board and other providers to, to provide what an individual needs when they come in with a disease of addiction or an overdose. And, and we have seen a rapid uh, increase in those programs. I was just down in the Williamsburg area at one of the facilities there and, and the crisis stabilization unit 
unit that they've set up and the ability for them to intervene is really remarkable. And we see more and more of those partnerships developing between local health systems and um, and also local private outpatient providers as well as community service boards. And that's where the opportunity lies is for, for um, multiple stakeholders in a community to come together to try and uh, meet the needs uh, for the population with substance abuse. Absolutely right. And some of the work that's going on in the hospital setting includes, as you point out, working with the emergency department physicians to be on the lookout for patients who may be shopping for prescriptions. Uh, And so that's just one of the many things that's happening in the hospital setting. Let's shift a little bit and talk about one thing that should enhance the efforts to combat the opioid epidemic. And that's the fact that Virginia this year adopted a bipartisan budget that includes a plan to help more low-income uninsured adults gain health coverage through the Affordable Care Act. Many states have accepted this enhanced funding to improve access to medical care as well as mental health and substance abuse treatment. In Virginia, Dr. Melton, how will this enhanced funding for new coverage for adults help in the response to the opioid challenge? Yeah, there there are really two major areas that Medicaid expansion is going to help individuals to get treatment for uh, their addiction. One is just the expansion from 100% of poverty to 138% of poverty is going to provide insurance to people who didn't have insurance. And we know that when people have coverage, they seek treatment. And, and not only that, but they seek the right kind of treatment. And so what we see is individuals without insurance, when it gets so bad, they do eventually seek treatment, but it's through an emergency room. And, and oftentimes, the better source of treatment would be an outpatient treatment center and that sort of thing. So there's the expansion in that sense, so more individuals who have coverage and will be able to access treatment and they will be facilitated to access the right kind of treatment. But the second part of expansion is is what I'm even more excited about, and that is the ability for the Commonwealth to shape how it uses its Medicaid expansion dollars to better meet the needs of Virginia citizens. And the best way to describe that would be if we only expanded, so that first benefit, then the CMS and the federal government tells us how we can spend the money. But if we apply for an 1115 waiver, which we're going to do, then we can get permission to use the funds um, specifically to meet the needs of Virginians. And the arts program is was sort of a, a micro almost a pilot of that type of an 1115 waiver. And so now we're going to be able to do a waiver like that for the entire Medicaid population. And it's going to benefit not just individuals with substance abuse, because we do have that 1115 waiver already, but we will be able to use it for individuals with serious mental illness. And many individuals have both addiction and serious mental illness. And we're going to be able to use it to provide for them services like transportation so they can actually get to their treatment um, as well as housing to support their ability to have a stable housing environment that we know make it much more likely an individual can get into and stay in recovery. So I think expansion means two things more individuals with coverage, and the state being able to utilize those resources to best meet uh, the needs of the um, citizens in Virginia. And I'm very thankful that uh, the administration and the General Assembly saw to it that we were getting both in, in Virginia. And that's absolutely a great point about the important work that's going on and about the fact that 
it takes a holistic approach to address the challenges that people people have. It's not just one bucket. It takes several things. And so transportation, access to care, all of those things are important. So thank you for giving us a little bit of insight about the work that's going on. I'm going to do one more shameless plug alert. This one is actually for the Commonwealth, and I'm going to encourage our listening audience to please visit the website www.coverva.org. Again, that's www.coverva.org if you are uninsured and you think you may be eligible for coverage. And if you have coverage, but you know someone who you think may be uninsured, please share that address with them. Again, it's www.coverva.org. And in closing, I'm going to ask you a question, Dr. Melton, that we pose to many of the guests on this podcast. It's a question we borrow from a popular BBC program. And the question is this. If you were stranded on a deserted island, what book and what album would you take with you? And we will spot you a copy of the Bible. So you already have that. So one other book other than the Bible and one album. Uh, and an album? Uh, probably I would take uh, U2. I'm a big fan of uh, U2 and one of their albums. Probably, yeah, Joshua Tree for U2. And then book. What book would I take? Um, I would probably take a book that I read back when I was a kid called Where the Red Fern Grows. It's inspirational to me about um, experiences that shape us as we grow up and teach us how to move from being a youth to an adult in a world that can be challenging to live in. It's a favorite book of that I have and that I've read to my daughter. So uh, thank you for your time today. Absolutely. Sage words of advice, and I'm sure that Where the Red Fern Grows is a book that many folks, when they were younger, myself included, read as a school assignment. So appreciate you sharing that with us. And with that, we're going to thank Dr. Melton for taking time out of his busy schedule and making himself available to appear on the Patients Come First podcast. So thank you, sir. Thanks, Julie. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Patients Come First podcast. You can find new episodes as they become available at www.vhha.com. You can also find episodes of the podcast on SoundCloud. We also encourage you to engage with us on social media, including Facebook and Twitter. If you'd like to send us comments, questions, or feedback for the podcast, you can do that through our Twitter account at VirginiaHHA using the hashtag PatientsComeFirst. Thanks. Thanks.